This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. A warning, this episode features dramatizations of extreme violence and acts of human desecration. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources— Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Robin Hood strolled through Barnsdale Forest, enjoying the twitter of songbirds and the clear, crisp morning air. He and his comrades, the band of outlaws known as the Merry Men, had called these woods home for the past few months— ever since their camp in Sherwood had been found and ransacked by the king's men. But there was something different about the woods this morning. Robin drew his bow and knocked an arrow. He scanned the trees but saw no sign of movement. Still, he couldn't shake the feeling that someone was watching him. Robin lowered his bow and took off at a sprint. Footsteps pounded behind him. Two dark figures charged through the brush, closing in on him from behind. Somehow, they had found him. His home was no longer safe. The assailants seized Robin and slammed him to the ground. Get off me! Little John! March! Will Scarlet! Someone! Help! But no help came as the men tied him up. They snatched away his bow and flung it into the woods. Robin struggled to free himself, but the men punched, kicked, and beat him into submission. When Robin finally glimpsed the face of one of his attackers, he stared up in horror and confusion. The man looked exactly like Robin himself. Robin's eyes shot open. A huge figure towered over him, glowering through a bushy beard. Little John? What's the matter with you, Rob? Your hollerin's just about woke up the whole camp. I had a... a vision. Being chased through the woods by a man wearing my face. I think someone wants me dead. Someone always wants you dead. His name's the Sheriff of Nottingham. And if you keep caterwauling like such, you're liable to lead him right to us. So do us all a favor and keep your dreams to a dull roar. Little John stomped back to his own tent, leaving Robin alone. He stared up into the trees, 
listening to the sounds of the slumbering forest. Whatever his friend said, Robin was certain that it had not been an ordinary dream. Someone was hunting him. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. Today, we're discussing Robin Hood, the mythical hero of Sherwood Forest. Specifically, we'll be exploring the 17th century ballad, Robin Hood and Guy of Gisborne, one of the earliest complete surviving ballads about the hero. In the process, we'll examine the long oral tradition of Robin Hood folktales and the thin line between history and mythology. The legend of Robin Hood dates back nearly a thousand years. After invading England from Normandy in 1066, William the Conqueror instituted new laws governing the English countryside. He decreed that the forests surrounding English towns like Nottingham would be considered property of the crown. The deer and wild game that lived within the forests were the king's deer and game and could no longer be hunted without permission. Nor could the common folk clear-cut the forests to build their homes without permission. The decree was wildly unpopular with the people of England and created increased resentment between the lower class and the feudal lords. But the commoners were powerless to resist and had little choice but to steer clear of the woods. But the new law had unintended consequences. With the common people no longer cultivating the forests for their own use, they quickly became wild and untamed. Since the only people who could set foot inside the forest were outlaws, the woods became a breeding ground for criminals. Soon, the king's forest had a reputation for being filled with murderers and thieves, and were deemed unsafe for commoner and noble alike. Stories of the outlaws in the woods made their way to English towns, related by the traveling minstrels who would pass through. While most of these tales depicted the criminals as terrifying villains, there was at least one outlaw that people loved to hear about. As resentment for the upper class grew through medieval England, ballads began to spread about a yeoman living in the woods. The term yeoman had a couple of meanings at the time. A low-level archer in the military, or a noble's servant below a knight but it always meant someone of common blood. This yeoman was an outlaw, but he was a friend of the common man. His name was Robin Hood. The exact setting of the stories would change. Sometimes it was Yorkshire, sometimes it was Sherwood Forest, 
Whatever it was, Robin Hood's M.O. remained the same. He only attacked men of the upper class, monks and abbots, knights, and the king's men. It wasn't until the 15th century that the stories added the detail of Robin redistributing the stolen wealth to commoners. In feudal England, these were the first stories of the lower class fighting back against the ruling class. Tales of the outlaw who snubbed his nose at the rich filled the common people with hope. And perhaps the story that exemplifies Robin Hood's character more than any other was Robin Hood and the Guy of Gisborne. It's possibly the oldest Robin Hood ballad, dating back to before the 15th century, and it begins with the titular hero awakening from a dark and troubling dream. Robin Hood's camp was alive with activity before the first light of dawn permeated the treetops. The merry men bustled to and fro, completing the laundry list of tasks that came with life in the woods. There was food to be prepped and traps to be set, as well as trails that needed to be watched over, just in case any corrupt monk or errant knight happened to pass through. But Robin had more on his mind than burgling noblemen this morning. He had not slept a wink since waking from his nightmare, or vision, as he was still convinced it was. He was certain that somewhere out in the woods, someone was hunting him. Someone as deadly and dangerous as himself. So while his companions worked, Robin Hood quietly gathered his gear. He'd intended to set out alone, but his plans were spoiled when massive Little John caught him slinking out of camp. Now, where is Robin Hood sneaking off to this fine morning? I have a bad feeling, Little John. There's something coming. Someone. And I mean to find him before he finds me. Ugh, still going on about your dream, are you? Well, we can't have you wandering the woods alone while foggy phantasms and dream people lurk about. I'll help you look for the cat. Fine, then. Make yourself useful and grab my bow. Grab your own damn bow. And so Robin Hood and Little John set out into the woods around Barnsdale to search for the mysterious figure from Robin's dream. Little John thought it was ridiculous, but if Robin wanted to roam the woods to ease his mind, he was happy to go along. After all, it was just a dream. But elsewhere in the forest, a nightmare was unfolding. One of the merry men, a young thief named Will Stutley, was checking the rabbit traps far from camp. He had just collected his first plump coney when he heard a strange sound. Someone was making his way through the forest and whistling as they did. Stutely stood and looked around, peering through the dense foliage, but saw no sign of movement. Then, just as suddenly as the whistling had begun, it stopped. The arrow appeared out of nowhere, slamming into Stutley's chest. He fell backwards onto the forest floor, gasping in pain and surprise. A figure loomed out of the woods, and for a moment, Stutley was sure he was looking up at a demon. 
The man was covered from head to toe in the hide of a knight's horse. The horse's head sat on his own brow so that the mane of dark hair fell neatly down his back. He looked like a beast. Hello, my good man. I would apologize for my arrow, but I'm sure it's well-deserved. There is a law against trapping in the king's forest, and a high price for any thieves caught within. Fortunately for you, it's not just any thief I hunt this day. I seek the outlaw they call Robin Hood. If you tell me where I can find him, perhaps your life can still be spared. The merry man's jaw tightened, and he spat into his attacker's face. The man grimaced in annoyance and used his horsehide robe to wipe the spittle away. Then he drew his sword. Very well. But rest assured, your loyalty is in vain. I will take Robin Hood's head this day. After your own. And with that he severed Stutley's head from his body. Coming up, Robin and the Mysterious Hunter come face to face. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to our story. Deep inside the forest, Robin Hood and Little John had been walking all morning, Little John was more and more convinced that this whole dream business was a fool's errand. But Robin Hood refused to rest. Are you satisfied yet, Robin? There's no one out here. If you want to go back, feel free. Do you hear that? Aye. Robin Hood and Little John crouched down, listening to the strange whistling. Robin signaled to his friend and the two merry men crept forward through the brush until they reached a clearing. Peering out from the trees, they spotted a nightmarish figure. A man, draped in the hide and head of a horse, was leaning up against a lime tree. He was looking around and appeared to be quite lost. Robin's eyes narrowed as he examined the strange man, a bow and full quiver hung from one shoulder. He was a yeoman like Robin, a commoner. Robin's eyes traveled down to the sword and knife hanging at the man's waist, and his expression darkened. The blades of both weapons were stained red with dry blood. That's him, little John. That's the man from my vision. You didn't say nothing about a horse-headed fella. I saw an attacker with my own face. This man is a yeoman, like myself. Trust me, it's him. One way to be sure. Stay here, brother. I'll handle this. Like hell you will. I won't send one of my men into danger while I hide in a bush like a coward. Now's no time for pride, Rob. 
If he's truly after you, I'll suss him out. For all we know, he could just be lost. It doesn't take an idiot to see he's lost. You calling me an idiot now? I'm saying there's no sussing to do. Look at the blood on his blades. This man is a killer. He means us harm. And I'm seven feet tall. Let him try. You'd stand no more chance against him with that bow than you would against me. So, I'm an idiot and I'm no good as your muscle. I'm beginning to wonder why I came along at all. So am I. Little John and Robin Hood stared at each other, tempers flaring. After a tense moment, the larger man threw his hands up in exasperation. Ugh, fine. Deal with this vision how you like. Little John pushed himself off the ground, careful not to give away Robin's position, then disappeared silently into the woods. As soon as Robin Hood was alone, he turned back to the horse-headed figure. The man seemed to have chosen a direction to head off in and was preparing to do so. Before he could, Robin stood and marched into the clearing. Good morrow, good fellow. The man in the horse hide turned toward Robin, eyeing him quizzically. One hand drifted to the hilt of his sword, but rather than drawing it, he returned Robin Hood's friendly smile. Good morrow, good fellow. That's a lovely bow you have there. You must be quite the archer. Better at shooting than following directions, it seems. I'm quite lost. Have no fear. I know these woods like they're my own. I wouldn't leave a fellow yeoman stranded out here. We must help our own kind out. God bless you. What brings you out into these woods? They're dangerous. You're likely to run into an outlaw. I'm counting on it. I'm looking for Robin Hood. There's a handsome reward waiting for me in Nottingham if I return with his head. Robin nodded cheerily, careful not to show any response to his own name. He'd been right after all. This man was hunting him, and on the Sheriff of Nottingham's orders, no less. While he knew it would be wise to let the topic drop, he couldn't help but wonder how high the price on his head had risen. Just what kind of reward? Nothing less than a knight's fee. This time, it took all of Robin's focus not to betray his surprise. A knight's fee wasn't just money, it was land, a straight shot to the upper class. The thought disgusted Robin. He and the merry men had made it their mission to steal only from the nobility, the wealthy nobles who preyed upon the common folk and kept them trapped in lives of squalor and pain. But this yeoman was even worse. He was willing to betray his own people, to kill members of his own class, simply to get ahead. He was everything Robin despised, and more. But Robin let none of it show. He simply raised an eyebrow. A knight's fee. The sheriff must really want this outlaw dead. Aye. <laughs> Unfortunately, the man has proven to be quite difficult to find. I've encountered one of his bunch today, but the bandit preferred to lose his head rather than give up his commander's location. Is something the matter? Only the thought of you wasting time with these bandits. 
I wish you had found me earlier. You know where I can find the outlaw? That I do, my good man. Follow me, and I'll take you straight to him. Come. Robin waved the man in the horsehide after him, and the pair tramped off into the woods. Meanwhile, Little John walked in silence, stewing with anger over the argument with Robin Hood. He was still lost in thought as he neared the camp. The sound of someone coming his way snapped Little John from his haze. He looked up to see one of the merry men racing toward him, a look of terror on his face. Brother? The merry man fell dead directly in front of him, an arrow protruding from his back. Brother! Little John dove for safety as more arrows flew through the air. His eyes locked on those of his lifeless comrade on the ground. He drew his longbow and quickly made his way to their hideout. When he reached the camp moments later, Little John was greeted by a horrific sight. His comrades were scattered throughout the camp, locked in fierce combat with chainmail-clad soldiers. The merry men were outnumbered seven to one, and at the center of it all was a towering figure, nearly as tall as Little John himself, with the king's sigil emblazoned on his chest. The Sheriff of Nottingham had found them. For a brief instant, Little John stood frozen, staring at the pandemonium. Dead merry men already littered the ground. Others were turning to flee into the woods. Within moments, they would be overwhelmed. Little John's brow darkened. He raised his bow and took aim for the sheriff, drawing back the string as far as it would go. It was a long shot longer than any he had made, and his shoulders tensed from the effort. By God's will. Just as Little John released the string, the bow snapped in half, sending the arrow just off course of the sheriff. It embedded in the throat of one of his nearby deputies, killing the man on the spot. The sheriff turned and locked eyes with Little John. He pointed and called for his men to attack. Little John tossed the broken bow aside, reaching instead for a thick quarterstaff as dozens of soldiers closed in around him. Meanwhile, Robin Hood was far away on the other end of the forest, oblivious to the raid going on at his camp. He regularly glanced back at the man in the horsehide, who was still following close behind him. The yeoman's blood-soaked blade had already taken the life of one of Robin's men. He wondered just how dangerous this stranger was. You know, good man, we might run into the outlaw Robin Hood at any moment. He lives in these very woods and has been known to get the jump on men better than you and I. Are you ready to use that bow? Always. I'm not a bad shot myself. How about a little contest? I'm a bit tired of walking, to be honest with you. A wonderful idea. Robin and the stranger cleared out some brush to make a shooting range. 
Then Robin fashioned a pair of targets. The first was a traditional flat target, a bullseye carved on a slat of wood leaning up against a tree. The second was a bit trickier, an upright stick with a ring placed on the end of it. Robin went first. He drew his bow, carefully knocked an arrow, and took aim at the flat target. He drew back the string and let the arrow fly. It hit the target near the center, not quite a perfect bullseye, but enough to impress the man in the horsehide, who went next. And true to his word, the stranger was a good shot. His arrow landed a short distance from Robin's, just slightly further from the center. The pair then moved on to the ring target. This time, the man in the horsehide went first. He fired a perfect shot right through the middle of the ring. Robin's eyes widened. The man was even more skilled than he had expected. The outlaw stroked his chin, making a show of sizing up the target. He knew the smart thing would be to end the competition quickly and maintain his cover. He could lead the man deeper into the woods, take him in circles until he had lost his sense of direction, and then abandon him to die of starvation or thirst. But Robin had never been very good at doing the smart thing or at losing competitions. The stranger had made a perfect shot through the center of the ring, which left only one way he could see to best him. In a single fluid motion, he drew an arrow and fired it straight through the stick holding the ring, snapping it clean in half. The two archers smiled at each other, both impressed. Robin offered his hand. By the Virgin! You are a good shot, sir. I would love to know the name of the man who bested me. I am Guy, from the hamlet of Gisborne. It's been an honor to shoot with you, Guy of Gisborne. I am Robin Hood. <laughs> I was beginning to wonder how many champion archers lived in these woods. But how fare you with a blade? Shall we have another competition? A wonderful idea. And this time, I suggest a prize. The winner leaves with the loser's head. Coming up, Robin Hood and the murderous Guy of Gisborne fight to the death. Now back to our story. For two long hours, Robin Hood and Guy of Gisborne crossed swords, battling back and forth through Barnsdale Forest. It was an exhausting, endurance-testing exchange, and soon both men's tunics were soaked through with sweat. Whenever Robin seemed to get the upper hand for a moment, Guy soon turned the tables with a well-timed repost. They were as close to equals as any two men could be. Ah! When they were both close to spent, Guy made a final charge. His sword crashed down on Robin's with such force that it sent the outlaw stumbling back. Before Robin could regain his footing, Guy swung his blade again, 
slicing Robin Hood across the torso and sending him tumbling to the ground. Mm. Give it up, outlaw. Your head is mine. By the Virgin Mary, it is not my destiny to die today. Guy of Gisborne raised his sword, ready to deliver the death blow. He swung his blade down. Robin Hood rolled out of the way and Guy's blade stabbed into the earth. Before the horsehide man could move, Robin swung his own blade upwards, plunging it into his opponent's chest. Guy of Gisborne staggered forward, taking Robin Hood's sword with him. He crashed into the ground, and the blade shot up through his back, severing his spine in an instant. Robin Hood pushed himself to his feet, wheezing from exhaustion and holding his bleeding side. He freed his sword from Guy of Gisborne's chest and stared down into the lifeless eyes of his would-be murderer. Killing Guy had not quelled his anger. This fellow yeoman had intended to cut off his head in exchange for nobility. He was a traitor, a traitor to the common man of England. With a great cry, Robin clove Guy's head from his body. Then he fell to his knees, seizing the head in one hand and drawing a dagger from his boot in the other. Guy of Gisborne, you lived as a traitor and shall be branded a traitor in death. Robin Hood went to work carving up the face of Guy of Gisborne. He sliced off the nose and ears and carved through the face, cutting, slashing, stabbing, until the face was unrecognizable. Next, Robin turned his attention to Guy's lifeless body. He pulled off the horsehide and wrapped it around himself. Finally, he picked up Guy's disfigured head and placed it on the end of his bow. Your bow! Your arrows, your horn, they all belong to the merry men. Let's find out how much the head of Robin Hood is worth. Robin Hood carried the decapitated head all the way back to Nottingham, the horsehide covering his full body. As he neared the city, he lifted Guy of Gisborne's horn to his lips and blew, exactly as Guy would have done at the end of a successful hunt. Onlookers gasped at the sight of the horse-hided man carrying a head through town. When he reached the central fortress, the gates opened to allow him entrance. Inside stood the sheriff of Nottingham, flanked by 40 soldiers. He grinned from ear to ear at the sight of what he believed was the head of Robin Hood. <laughs> I didn't believe it when I heard your horn, but here you stand before me, Guy of Gisborne. <laughs> ah, I see that your hunt fared well. Quite well, dear Sheriff. I offer you the head of Robin Hood. Praise the Lord, what a glorious day. Robin Hood dead, and his companions dead and captured. <laughs> Our raid was quite successful as well, you see. 
Robin stopped in his tracks. In the corner of the courtyard stood a large wrought iron cage. Inside sat the dozen or so surviving merry men, all bruised and bloody and wearing expressions of defeat. But worst of all was little John. The giant outlaw was locked in stocks on a low platform, staring out at the horsehide-clothed Robin with a look of pure hatred. Robin's mind raced. He had known he would be walking into danger by entering Nottingham, but he had not expected this. He turned to the sheriff. I'm glad to hear it, sheriff. Now, if we could discuss my payment? Of course, sir, Guy of Gisburn. You shall have a knight's fee as promised. I have no interest in your gold. My reward shall be killing Robin Hood's servant. That outlaw there! Robin pointed Guy's bloody knife toward Little John. The sheriff looked back and forth between the two of them, stunned. <laughs> Surely you're not serious. We're killing these men anyway. Robin Hood took a piece out of me today, and in return, I shall take a piece of him. His servant will die by my hand. Sir Guy, I am speechless. If this is what you require, so be it. Robin Hood walked to Little John, knife in hand. He walked behind the giant man and knelt beside him, leaning his head in close. Hope you've got strength enough to fight. I've just been waiting for you to stop talking. The sheriff's eyes narrowed as his soldiers looked to him in confusion. To all of them, it looked like the horse-headed man was preparing to free his prisoner. What are you doing now, guy? Execute the man and be done with it! I don't know how you do things in Barnsdale, but in Gisburn, we hear a man's confession before he dies. He may be an outlaw, but he deserves that. Fine, but be quick about it. The sheriff waved off his men, and Robin gave Little John a smile. In a flash, he freed Little John and handed him Guy's bow. Turning to face the soldiers, he threw the horsehide cloak aside. The sheriff's jaw dropped. The man standing before him was none other than Robin Hood. <gasps> Kill him! The sheriff's men charged, but Robin was ready. He turned his bow on the attackers, firing round after round at them before they could clear the courtyard. Meanwhile, Little John grasped Guy of Gisburn's sword and dashed to the cage where the merry men were chained. With a single swing, he severed the lock from the cage and then broke the chain that linked the prisoner's feet. The outlaws burst from their prison and seized weapons from the fallen soldiers, joining the fray. Turning back to the battle, Little John spotted the Sheriff of Nottingham across the courtyard. The two men locked eyes, and the color drained from the Sheriff's face. He leapt from his seat and turned to run. Little John grabbed a nearby soldier and ripped the bow and quiver from the man's hands. He took aim, pulling the string back as far as he could, and let the arrow fly. <gasps> the Sheriff of Nottingham fell dead, Little John's arrow protruding from his throat. 
With their leader dead, the soldiers turned and fled. Robin Hood and his remaining merry men grabbed whatever they could carry and ran laughing back toward the Barnsdale Forest. They had defeated the nobles once again. And so ends the tale of Robin Hood and Guy of Gisborne. The ballad has all the trademark tropes of a classic Robin Hood tale, including a friendly clash with Little John, an archery contest, and a murderously single-minded antagonist in The Sheriff of Nottingham. But it also contains far more violence than modern audiences expect from such a story, delivering a steady stream of blood, beheadings, and corpse mutilation. Even during a time where it was common for people to see offending criminals hanging from the town gates, this ballad was remarkable for its brutality and violence. Author Renee Ward explains this aspect of the ballad by stating that in Robin's eyes, Guy is a class traitor. Ward lends special significance to the fact that both Robin Hood and Guy are described as being yeomen, In other words, they're both members of the same lower class. For Robin, Guy's greatest crime isn't that he's trying to kill Robin Hood. It's that he's doing it to gain access to nobility. Whereas Robin dresses himself in the humble greens of the forest, Guy is covered in the hide of a war horse, essentially turning himself from a yeoman into a beast used by the crown. Guy was clearly willing to kill his fellow commoner if it meant bettering his own position. The fact that his sword is covered in blood further demonstrates that he's killed and killed again, and all in service to the crown. For the mythical Robin Hood, who's turned his back on the entire social structure of medieval England in order to take care of his fellow man, this was the ultimate sin. The extreme nature of his beheading and disfiguring of Guy was a message to the audience. The lower class of medieval England has enough problems without worrying about being turned on by one of their own. Stand together or die. While there are no official records of an outlaw named Robin Hood, some historians believe that he was nevertheless a real person. English antiquary Joseph Ritson offered one possible explanation for the lack of records, pointing out that the upper class, and monks specifically, were the ones who kept most of the records during the early Middle Ages. Since the church was a common target for Robin Hood, Ritson argued that Robin Hood's omission from history could be purely spiteful. The monks kept him out of the record books on purpose. But while there's no individual Robin Hood to point to, the name does appear multiple times in court documents from the 14th century. It appears to have been used as an alias, a designation given by authorities to unidentified robbers, a medieval version of John Doe. As far as history was concerned, anyone who robbed from the rich could be Robin Hood. But whether or not he was a historical figure was ultimately secondary to what Robin Hood meant to the common people of England. For centuries, he fought a corrupt system at every turn. He saw something wrong and did something about it. He became a symbol of rebellion, a reminder that by standing together and refusing to submit to tyranny, there is always hope 
for the common man. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Robin Hood, amongst the many sources we used, we found the work of William E. Simeone on the mythical and historical Robin Hood to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Mike Capozzi, Sky King, and Harris Markson. I'm Vanessa Richardson.